0: Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 All-Star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex.
1: Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. I'm sitting here with Mr. Tex McQuilkin, aka Chris, or is it Chris McQuilkin, aka Tex? Either way, the other part of the dynamic duo of the crew podcast here at Power Athlete Radio. So we're going to answer some questions today. We've been going through this hotline. Unfortunately, we've been on the road for a little bit out at Sornex, and we came back and the hotline was hot and packed. So for those of you guys not familiar, we have this deal called Power Athlete Hotline. You can reach out, leave questions, and we're going to answer them. So if you don't know that number, 929 464 929-ing-ing-0. So if you got questions, leave them on the hotline, and maybe the gods will smile, and we, we will be able to split your wig. Well, it can be a question
0: about anything, tr- training-related or philosophy. Trucks. Trucks. Hemorrhoids. Travel, hemorrhoids. You name it, we'll talk about anything,
1: everything. Eating bugs, uh, cicada protein. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the cicadas are getting ready to come out, and uh, we heard that we're going to be. Which I think is funny because if you go through the Bible and you start looking at like (laughs) plagues, pestilence. I mean the the or the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I'm pretty sure uh, locusts and cicadas were on there. So we're, I don't know, end of days. If I see Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, you know coming, I'm thinking end of days.
0: That might be a good movie review. That's one that of my favorites. That would be a great one. Tune in Friday, team, yeah. for that one. Well, today's question is all about range of motion, squatting, toes forward. So we're going to get into some interesting conversation because toes forward, it's is coming back. Oh, yeah. We're bringing toes forward back. Well, John, it never left.
1: Nah, it never did.
0: Hey, crew. Long-time listener, third-time caller, Chris Luke calling in. Got a question for you today about range of motion you guys talk a lot about um, doing exercises through your own individual full range of motion my question is is it worthwhile trying to increase that range of motion so for example um, if you can do a back squat to just below parallel with proficiency good form um and you're strong through that range of motion is it worthwhile trying to increase that range of motion to say an ass to grass squat with good control form um and gain strength through that range of motion um if you guys could elaborate on that that'd be pretty cool thanks a lot and bye
1: Hmm. lots to unpack to quote rob wolf um so when i went to the crossfit deal uh the seminar what they did is they set up expectations of range of motion. You you know this is the range of motion for this movement. This is the range of motion for this movement. Um, I thought that was awful. I mean, I think you should discuss range of motion and said, hey, this is what the perfect range of motion should be. But what I did when we taught cross the football is I made a distinction. Said, hey, everybody knows what the you know proper range of motion. Everybody should be able to squat like this. Everybody should be able to do these movements. But unfortunately many of you will not be able to do them today so instead of forcing you to into a bad position uh, getting you into some arbitrary you know measuring standard which is what you know crossfit did they had to have it measurable and repeatable so you got to squat to a certain depth you got to do this because it has to be measurable and repeatable i'm not interested in that i'm interested in the best range of motion you have on this given day and from here we will begin the process of getting you stronger more stable and increasing range of motion. A lot of times, um, flexibility wasn't necessarily the issue. It's just people weren't able to be stable and strong in those ranges of motion. As I said many, many years ago, and I've said many times, uh, flexibility without stability is a guaranteed injury. So if you are not stable, in these ranges of motion and you can't be you know maintain posture and position then i don't want to put you into those ranges of motion because then i'm putting you into a situation where now you have a greater chance of injury i'll just give you a little backstory. um years ago when we were a little balboa and it was in my house uh we traded out with these yogis so we were going and doing yoga a couple days a week um and we invited them to come lift weights with us these people were, uh, that had done yoga were super flexible. They could do all these poses. They were really good with isometric contractions, everything. They could not squat anywhere near parallel with any form of weight. So we started with a bar on their back. And uh, the age old looked like a dog shitting a razor blade is where that came from. They rounded their backs. They couldn't squat. They couldn't get left parallel. Um, but they were super flexible. And I realized that flexibility wasn't their limiting factor. It was that that active range of motion, their active stability was so poor because they couldn't maintain posture and position and stability in those deeper ranges of motion because they didn't have the strength. So then that started me down this idea that um, if you force people into ranges of motion that they're not strong in, they will be unstable and they will guarantee them injury. So. What I would say at the seminar, and when we teach people here today, is we all know what the standard is. If you have Instagram and you've seen squat fails, and you've fucking been on the internet and seen people ridiculed for shitty technique, you will know that you know there's a, a you know a passable squat below parallel, and you know there's some fucking monument to you know where a bunch of dipshits on the internet um, you know hold in high regard the guy that can get splinters on his ass when he's squatting, and while it looks cool, is it? you know a position that you're ever going to see in athletics not unless you're a fucking catcher so uh what is you know what is the you know ideal range of motion we all know what it looks like we all know what a good looking squat looks like we all should be able to videotape or you know uh, take a you know small video of what our squat looks like and have that mental preparation now a lot of times When you start forcing yourself into ranges of motion that you're not comfortable, you're not strong in, you're going to see people do a bunch of shit. They're going to round their back, they're going to dump their knees, they're going to do whatever they can to get into those ranges of motion, and the squat's going to look awful, like a dog shitting a razor blade. So, what I would rather have people do is I would rather have you squat well to less depth or, you know, pull from a different position and find different workarounds. I want you to lift your best lift. And as you get more proficient and stronger and more stable and start training, you can start developing strength to go into those deeper ranges of motion. And I would tell people in text, you heard me say this for years. I don't, I need you to squat well. I don't need you to squat as deep as humanly possible based off of some arbitrary fucking, you know, uh, madman's desire. But I need you to lift weights and we're going to stop you and we're going to get you into range of motion where you can demonstrate proficiency. From this, we will give you homework. And I need you to fight to get more and more range of motion, but never at the expense of challenging posture and position and technique. So uh, all too often we will, you know, set our bodies on the funeral pyre of, of ego and fucking set it ablaze. Um, But, you know, that became a really uh, issue. And, you know, where we started this idea of battle the bullshit started there. The other one, and we saw this all too often, is people were stretching way too much So we get into this deal where people are trying to be 99 level supple leopards, you know, they're fucking stretching 25 times a day, you know, every time you see them stop, they're stretching, they're stretching, and then all of a sudden, they're artificially getting themselves into range of motion that they cannot control, and that age old, and I said it earlier, right, Um, flexibility without stability is guaranteed injury. And, this, and we saw this over and over and over where we'd see people squat. And my first thing, or lift and do different things, my first thing was being, would be stop fucking stretching. You need a certain amount of rigidity to mm-hmm. be able to lift heavy weights. Um, you know, the, the biggest one is if you want to deadlift heavy and you want to squat heavy, stop stretching your back. Um, you know, that was the uh, Stu McGill. You know, your back has... Um, you know, these discs and these different fibers and the muscles, you know, almost similar to steel belts. And when you start spreading those steel belts, that's when you're going to get a ton of in, uh, instability in the
0: back. Oh, yeah. Well, let's begin with the the posture and position. You brought up a lot of good points that maybe some of our listeners who are not in our methodology are not as familiar with. Yep. Yeah. And the, the posture and position and the concept where a a standard bestowed upon athletes from above, whether you're powerlifting or crossfitting, was hip crease below parallel. Now we get into this idea of posture and position because our training is a means to an end yep. versus the movement as the end in a sport like powerlifting and crossfit. Yeah, so where this came from, um, 1999
1: fucking seems like eons ago, I ruptured my patellar tendon and I spent the entire year on IR. Um, you know, being a young kid that lived in Philadelphia, no friends, no family, everybody was playing football that I knew. And here I am stitched up, injured. And, you know, other than rehabbing and lifting weights at some weird gym on, on Walnut street, uh, I really didn't have anything. So I watched film and I would just, you know, a couple hours a day, sit in the film room when everybody was gone and watch all this film. And I became obsessed with the idea of why people won and lost. So as an offensive lineman, what could I do to guarantee victory? And I realized through just fucking a lot of film watching, and I know when people be like, oh yeah, this makes sense, but it's not necessarily uh, apparent to a lot of people. The individual that was able to maintain his posture and position or his technique or or his good movement longer than the other guy usually won every time. So if I'm an offensive lineman, the defensive lineman's job is to get me into a bad position by either lifting me up, moving me, bull rushing me, and all the moves that the defensive linemen are using are about getting me out of good position. So my thing that I coined was as I move through space, the longer I can maintain my posture and position as it relates to the individual and force him out of his good posture and position, then I can guarantee victory. So when I came back and started 16 Games that next year, my entire goal was to move through space from point A to point B, whatever I had to do, and to maintain my good technique, my knee bend, my posture, my position, my position, Longer, regardless of what he did to me, than that individual. And if I could do that, I could win. And it was usually 100% victory. And so from then on, it became like, okay, I know how to move in space. This is what the kick slide looks like. This is what, uh, you know, this is. And what I started to do is I started to limit movements or positions from the start that put me in a bad position. I realized that opening my toe and playing off my instep forced me to move, you know, to basically not, uh, to turn my shoulders that if I played toes forward, not only was I stronger off the ball, but I could kick and stay more square to the line of scrimmage. So when you stay more square then the defensive lineman has equal opportunity to go either way, when you turn your shoulders, you open up the inside. So as the idea is, as you set back and you get into position to pass block, the longer I can stay square, the greater chance I have a victory. And the more I can keep my knees bent, keep posture in position, you know, stay strong in my trunk. All of these things just hit me like a ton of bricks. And so much so, um, you know, when I started training camp, I was the four-string left tackle, and by, you know, within two weeks I was the starting left guard. You know, and it started at right tackle for the most of the preseason. And that was what allowed me to play 10 years in the NFL was this idea of toes forward, Mm -hmm. challenge of posture and position. And um, a big issue that I ran into, because my knee was fucked up and I was sitting there watching film, You know, all of a sudden I have this epiphany, this realization of challenging posture and position and the guy that can maintain theirs longer through space. But the problem was I couldn't play football. How was I going to practice this? I couldn't. I couldn't go out on the field. So the only place I had to, uh, I was able to practice this was in the weight room. Mm -hmm. So when I went in and I deadlifted and we pulled trap bar and squat and whatever, I was so focused on okay, hey, what does the bar position look like that teaches me this athletic position? What do my toes forward look like? What does it look like? What does the squat look like? And at the time, we didn't have video, so we would have, you know, cell phone cameras, and we would just take pictures. Shit, I wish I have all those flip phones, but those things are long dead. But we would take pictures and, um, you know, try to say, hey, you know, this is where it's good. This is what the knees look like. You know, knees tracking over the insteps. They weren't getting it done to tibial torsion. I wasn't getting dynamic movement in and out. What does my upper body look like? Am I able to maintain position and then putting training accessory movements in place that allow me to strengthen that posture and position like the dead bug, the movement. Mm -hmm. And then this, this translated even farther when all of a sudden my knee wasn't coming up and I got uh, plugged in with Charlie Francis and the idea of like the transfer of, of power and speed and developing speed in the weight room by basically making yourself rigid and all of these pieces seem to like kind of like come together, you know, almost like Iron Man, you know, pulling a suit together. All of these pieces and all of a sudden the training picked up when the EMS device came on. And next thing I know, I was out there running and playing. And that year of reflection and being able to observe from the outside and analyze, I really believe set the foundation for what I was able
0: to do for the other next nine years. That's That is correct. So we have the the setup and we're using the stress of the weight room through increased weights speed different space so we're moving Conventory through acceleration planes of motion compensatory acceleration with speed so the Chris Luke the things you see and experience within Jack Street field trunk bedrock all of the power ethic training methodology are these tools that we're stressing posture and excuse me stressing position and then the foundation the base even before the stress of position is this posture that you experience through the warmups, through the the coaching and the the directions that we have, uh, like zipping it up, yeah. and and locking in that position. Well, I I had a great talk at Sorenx with the um
1: with the guys. What's it from Treadslid? Uh, Tough Tread. Yeah, Tough Tread. Um, on the uphill running. Uh, they they're fans of the podcast, and he liked my statement about like nobody runs uphill poorly. Yeah, which bow, was purely bow. just an observation. Because we used to run hills, uh, or we used to run inclines. So there was a parking garage. Did Rob take you in the parking garage in Tampa? Oh, big time! Yeah, UT's spent yeah. a lot of time. So we would go in the parking garage, which was his, you know, three to five percent in incline, and we would sprint and run up the parking garage. Uh, you know, then we would go out and we'd find hills. I mean, there's not a lot of hills in Florida, so you gotta, you know, find mounds. But um, you know, there was a ton of work done with that, just in terms of uphill sprinting. The reason being is you don't have to coach somebody's forward body lean. They figure it out that they have to lean to get uphill. Um, You know, the only thing you have to coach is head position. You know, they got to keep their head down because all too often, and we saw this when we taught the clinic with the high school kids or the junior high kids, the first thing they did is they threw their heads back. And, uh, you know, they can't do pull-ups. So I'm like, where does that position come from? That's such an unnatural deal. If I'm sprinting, I'm focusing on what's in front of my feet so I don't step in a hole. You guys are looking up at the sky. So that idea of keeping the head down, good position, big arm swing, and basically driving and putting your foot in the ground and exploding because you can do that on an uphill sprint a little bit different than you can do in a flat sprint. Because all too often we saw people lift their chest, horizon change, and then they start reaching. Mm-hmm. But because your chest is down, your head is down, you're getting a big violent arm swing, you're getting that forward lean, you can put your foot in the ground and explode out and have an extremely fast turnover. So, um, you know, uh, when we did all of our sprint prep stuff, a big one was always high knees. So we did a ton of high knee work. And then you get to the point where you would do high knees and then we would have to roll into the sprint or do it up tall and fall high knee sprint, you know, whatever these different variations. But at the end of the day, as long as you're getting big uh, arm spring and you're bringing your knees up, all you had to do was get forward leaned, and the sprint looked pretty good. So, uh, you know, the age old Roger Craig running through the line high knees. I mean, if you can mimic that and you can do that, especially in an uphill sprinting environment, you're probably a lot farther along than anybody else. So um, I didn't... uh, yeah, I mean, when when I ran like shit, um, you know, I've told the story about like all of a sudden I was fast and then I wasn't. If I had just gone and found hills and started sprinting up hills, it probably would have fixed a lot of technique. And I think that piece in it. I mean, shit, ten years ago, you know, sitting with Jim Wendler uh, at a bar in Columbus, Ohio, he's like, "Man, if people just banged heavy weights and sprinted uphill and did a little bit of aerobic work, they'd probably be a lot farther along than most of this other bullshit out there." And I don't think. Uh he was that far off, and to this day it probably even seems more true.
0: Sounds like bedrock. The yeah, sounds just like bedrock. Now the another word we introduced was standard. So we have depth, standard of the powerlifting meet, a standard of the crossfit competition. These are four points. Uh the standard is posture and position. Yeah. We're not telling people to not go below parallel. We're maintaining the idea of posture and position, maintaining and going through your full range of motion with the objective of our toes forward squat, set up toes forward, knees over arches, in steps, athletic a frame, the objective of below parallel. If we're tracking our knees forward, that'll put us into a loaded hamstring, which we can reverse and take advantage of compensatory acceleration and using the posterior chain in the squat, so our aim is to get you to p- below parallel so we have a loaded full hamstring not this fall into position yeah. load into a position and then contract that hamstring to fire out the hole Often there are limitations that prevent you from getting to your full range of motion that could include ankles calves feet knee hip so by calcified popliteus muscle calcified popliteus muscle So by working around these things just so you can get to a standard will put you at a disservice when it comes to strength, power, speed, and connecting your squat to jumps. Connecting your squat to an expression of athleticism and movement through space and change of direction. So we're not going to neglect poor ankle, poor feet, poor knee, poor hip, and then work around this to load up we're almost forcing the load to aim to change the tissue by squatting toes forward and aiming to increase your range of range of motion. Here's the other side of that coin with weight and then progressing up and maintaining a standard of posture and position weight should never shorten your range of motion. It should challenge your range of motion. This is the biggest fight for the high school and the college age because they got the ego involved. Uh, So we always start with the bar is,
1: I mean, kids are always going to have ego, but, yeah. but it feels like it's on the weight of the coach to be like, here's the deal. I need you to squat well. Um, I don't care what's on the bar, uh, the transfer of force. I mean, whatever it looks like, it has to be done well. And I think all too often people are so enamored by what the weight on the bar is. And I, I would really wish that, you know, and you, you did a great job with this, you know, like, Hey, I, I need a beauty contest. I need you to impress me with how you move. I'm not even looking at the weight on the bar. And I think if you can take that, and um, I, dude, I, I, I fell prey to this when I was 14 or 15 years old. Yep. I was so concerned with the weight on the bar, not necessarily how I moved it, that I believe it, it compounded a lot of injuries that I had to deal with when I was younger. I um, had a ton of soft tissue things that I was like, I, you know, were like you know knee tendinitis and whatnot. And it wasn't until I got a little older and realized, like, I need to put my ego in the gym bag and just learn to do these movements well. And become strong and stable and all of a sudden these injuries just magically disappeared it's amazing what happens when you actually become strong at moving well not just fucking just strong like uh, you know like you know there's people out there that can squat 400 pounds like you think they're going to be in a car wreck and you know they might be able to get the weight up but at the end of the day the soft tissue uh, payment is going to have to be made so that ability to squat well and move well uh, just becomes the the price that you have to pay, and unfortunately, very few people are just naturally good under a barbell and it takes time, it takes craft,
0: and like that ego you know is is, is oh so dangerous and that that's the importance of the coach in two perspectives one, I'll lead off with the kids because we're touching that So the uh man, that was so much fun. those kids were all oh, pretty yeah. cool kids Congrats. had a
1: good sense of humor, and I was dude, I was happy to bust on them.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I gave it. you all the tall guys. I yeah. had the short wiener kids. <laughs> um, but the, so the, the coaching within that is we began with the bar and then we know exactly where their depth is yeah. with the empty barbell. And then if we can add weight, most often the range of motion will increase. Yeah. However, we never let it decrease yeah. from that first set, whether it's the barbell into the first weight warm up. that is my coach's eye expectation of depth, anything less than that. We hold them accountable. We hold them to the standard of their full range of motion. Now, for a garage gym athlete, which is a high percentage of the people following the Train Heroic program, this this is on you. And this is why I love our system and approach where if I'm working with a team, it's me leading the the control of the ego, the self-esteem, bring kids down or bring kids up to level. It's this ownership, performance for the people, for our garage gym athletes. Now, Chris, I've had the opportunity to coach you virtually one-on-one, but now you know exactly when you're right, when you're wrong, how how to load it from our remote coaching experience, but now it's on you. And this goes for all the people following our Train Heroic programs. It's on you to check your ego. And that lesson delivered through Power Athlete training is going to carry over to the rest of your life. But the minute you start blaming us for training or you went too heavy and you're not satisfied or you look too much into the leaderboard, yeah, that's, you're going to get yourself hurt. That, that one blows my mind that people are so competitive with a leaderboard of virtual
1: people. I mean, it's like, hey, at the end of the day, if most those people are in your gym and you're battling them, you don't know who they are. You, you, you don't even know if it's accurate. I mean, it could be crazy people in... Russia and China
0: bots that are doing the training that are just posting crazy stuff to try to throw you out of your loop. Maybe. But here's where you can benefit, Chris, is find someone that's consistently posting close to your numbers, then develop this yeah. relationship. Develop this bond. Start calling, calling them out. And that was the the cross of football, football boards to begin. Oh, yeah. Is seeing numbers where we're close and then we had weights, we had heights connected well, to it. Well, just the fact that uh, Johnny Rockstar
1: pulled like a set of like, what was it, 11 or 12 with 500 on the Dorian deadlifts? Uh-huh. I was like, "Fuck, I need like." <laughs> well, he's coming to the block one coaching. Oh, I event know. Here. It was impressive. I mean, dude, he's he's a beast. I mean, it's uh, it's always cool for me to get in there and hit some weights and then see somebody. I mean, shit, I uh, dude, I think I got eight at five hundred, and he smashed more than that. And I was like, next time I go do this, I'm definitely shooting for that number. So I think it's good to to have people that um, you know, like you want a carrot, mm-hmm. you know, that are the carrot and stick that you're chasing. Or you know, because sometimes you smash things, other times people smash you like that. But at the end of the day, I'm more impressed. Like if, if somebody posts a video, I'm more impressed by seeing them squat well than than what's on the on the oh, uh, like exactly. like the weight on the bar. Yeah. Or when they pull it, and you'll see me all the time. I'll be like, man, that was a great lift. Not like, oh, that big ass weight. I'm like, dude, I'm more interested in the execution, how you were able to move from point A to point B and then back again, and how well you did it, regardless of the weight.
0: But this this is the how we're writing the programs is to set up for this movement to carry over to that movement and all connected versus yes, just the, the number, uh, and not for points. It's for, for progress, performance for the people. Like John mentioned, we don't care what that one lift was. How did this one lift then set you up for success here, there and avoiding injury? I, it is my biggest pet peeve. And we had a recent, uh, podcast guest in their professional career. They they injured themselves during training, and I was in shock that reading the injury occurred during their training versus, you know, some some other it, it, accident within sports. I mean, you you saw there was a
1: guy in the NFL that ruptured an ACL in training, and the team fucking basically cut him, tried to take his money, and um, you know, put him into a bad situation because now you're there. What they're doing is they're setting a terrible precedence. Like, does this mean I don't need to train in the off-season? You know, so I mean, people do get hurt, um, you know. um, But if you're training in your garage and you're following this stuff and you're pushing yourself to a limit where the weight on the bar or how you're executing it is far outside your ability to execute it well, then we need to strip some weight off, put the ego in the bag, and just focus on, like, moving the bar well. Because at the end of the day, if you can learn that lesson – all of a sudden, once you do, the weights will explode. I I really believe, um, you know, I hit a plateau and that plateau was because my movement wasn't good. Taking weight off the bar. And like when I tore my ACL, I mean, I saw I squatted 610 that year and then I tore my ACL and then it forced me to have to go back and learn to re-squat. You know, you're like, you know, a bar 135, 225, and you start building back up. And I remember thinking like, hey, I want to learn to do this well. I want to squat deep. I want to squat well. I want to be a good mover underneath the bar. And I really believe that that injury allowed me the, you know, kind of the catalyst and the excuse to not look like I was weak. And all of a sudden became a better, a much better
0: squatter out of it. And, yeah, flashback from the, the old seminar days. We ran into ego a lot. Yeah. And how we well would set it up, we'd introduce and we had a squat lecture. And then we'd wrap it up with the best way to learn how to squat this way is to do it and then we we split up groups we started with the bar but then we had folks that would try it it would feel weird yeah and then they got to a point the three rep max is what we asked them to do that three max rep max where they were stalling it was far short of what they knew their pr to be so then they would get upset exactly and then the, the this ego would step up versus being a coach and having us aim to help them understand the movement and the purpose, uh, and yeah, I mean this—the whole toes, toes forward deal—is
1: um, something that not only I observe but Ralph and I talked about for years. That you know, uh, just take somebody for example and have them stand right there and do a vertical jump and see how they land. You're going to land in a good athletic position. The knees are going to track over the insteps and those toes are going to be straight ahead. Especially if you're playing a sport and you still have to move. Very few people land back on their, you know chest up, butt back, toes out, and if they are, they can't move from point A to point B once they land. So that position of toes forward, knees over the insteps, challenging posture position, in that universal athletic position is the hallmark. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had people today that were, or we had people in the seminar for years that were like, well, I don't have the flexibility to do it, great. I want you to do it, and I want you to squat as deep as you can, and all too often, people were getting locked up in their hip flexors and their adductors were locking them up. So just a little bit of being able to put the big toe on the ground and drive the knee out a little bit at the bottom would open them up and then magically they would squat. So I think all too often they were squatting toes out for a mechanical workaround. And the big issue we ran into, and I think as this evolved, we realized that a lot of people don't focus on pushing that big toe on the ground and getting the glute to fire because there's a direct link between those. So once you can get the glute to fire, you can go toes forward and you can develop – a certain range of motion, you know, that allows you to move through point A to point B. Well, uh, dude, people explode through the, through the world. I mean, the, the amount of people that we took fixer squad had them do it this way that all of a sudden went and really dedicated themselves. Dude, it was the, you know, the boundaries and the, the limits were, you know, there weren't any.
0: Yeah. And then throughout the seminar experience and even on the training, here's what I want you to think about. If you're on the training during the seminar, we would introduce the lunch. We didn't introduce the step up and it's the same toes forward knee tracking forward experience. So they began to see the connections unfold in front of them. It is there for you if you're following power athlete training on train heroic. And we, it doesn't change for programs, whether you're following bedrock,
1: field, strong, Jack street, grindstone, hammer, um, you know, lean enable, um, I oh know I'm missing one third monkey, whatever it is, all of the programs are all based on this methodology that we teach in, you know, at the academy.powerathletehq.com But this methodology of toes forward, challenging posture position as you move through space, you know, moving well, you know, using, um, you know, stability, you know, the idea of flexibility without stability is guaranteed injury. I mean, taking that to heart and putting people in this position to be their best. And I think that's what we do. Shit
0: better than anybody in the world. Oh, yeah. So if you're following in the program, look for it. Film yourself in your squat, step, and lunge. Throw it up in the feed. And if you do want more of your training program, we got some options coming soon. Yeah. Get some coach's eye on you. Sounds good. All right. Uh, asked and answered, Chris. We'll yep. see you on the other side. Yep. And if you want to reach out
1: to that hotline, that number again, 929 464 464 929 ing ing 0. So if you want to uh, get your question answered or you got a question you want to ask and uh, you know, you're know you interested in us, leave it. We'll answer it because the hotline is always open and it's always hot. So thanks again for tuning in another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Bye.
0: Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you'd like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!